Welcome to Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics. The only podcast where two brothers talk about a thing they love, and that thing is comic books. I'm one of the two brothers slash comic book lovers slash kind of comedian, Kevin Hines. And I'm the other um, brother, co-host, and uh, comics lover, Will Hines. Yeah, uh, we are brothers. We uh, do this podcast to talk about comics that we grew up reading and loving. Um we and sometimes, are, and sometimes other ones that we just feel like talking about. Yeah, uh, it's expanded to just be more and more about comics, but sort of comics that fall into the wheelhouse of what forty-year-old white dudes would have been reading, <laughs> uh, and/or are currently reading. Yeah, uh, this is uh, our mailbag episode, which we call "Mutants and Mailbag," mm-hmm. uh, or "Mailbags." Sometimes we call it. It seems to be evolving into that. Yeah, I like how our podcast is not in our control; like stuff just sort of happens. Kevin, yeah. that's very improv Have you ever done improv comedy? I've heard of improv comedy. That's the thing that um, uh, uh, Judd Apatow's movies are all mm-hmm. 100%. Judd Apatow's movies are fully improvised, yeah. Yeah, no script, uh, amazing, no camera. Really. No camera, yeah, they don't it. even know they're being filmed. It's really yeah. amazing that more than one has happened. And, I mean, th- and that they're so good and have a story. Some people's it's, lives, they just naturally have arcs. People say the same thing about our podcast, that it's just amazing that we actually uh, stay on topic at all since... It's all completely improvised. People are really stunned by our ability to ramble about stuff. <laughs> That's right. They're like, I have conversations with people and they last 10, 20 seconds tops. Yeah, these guys go forever. And I don't know if they said anything. Uh, this, Yeah, as I said, this is our Mutants and Mailbag episode, which means uh, we are covering classic Chris Claremont era X-Men comics. And then we will answer emails from you, our listeners, that you sent to us at screwitcomics at gmail.com. Uh, today we are covering issues one, probably covering last issue. We called an audible and only did two issues, but, uh, uh, today we're supposed to cover 143, 144, and then the next three, 145, 46, 147. Uh, And this includes John Byrne's last issue and the return of Dave Cockrum. Yes. Um, so yeah, we've got a John Byrne's last issue and then another sort of one shot story and then a three part story. Yeah, that's right. Um, Kevin, what'd you think here? The end of the burn era and the beginning of the next era of Claremont X-Men. Um, so I hadn't read any of these issues before the, the Kitty pride issue, John Burns, last issue. I thought I had read uh, from the cover and then I read it and it was another one of these, like, I've just seen the cover enough. You've that said I just that assumed, many times as yeah, we do this. <laughs> I see these covers a lot so much so that I'm like, I must've read this one. Uh, and I feel like I kind of know the story. I kind of knew the story, but I don't know any of, I didn't know any of the beats. Uh, so you, I feel like yeah, I did you might not kind of know the story because it's kind of the movie Alien. Never heard of it. Uh, <laughs> I definitely had not read the other four. Uh, I was surprised. I was sort of expecting post burn to sort of have a reaction of maybe we're done covering this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then I really enjoyed the Doom three parter. So, oh, okay. I'm curious to hear about that. I, uh, I did really enjoy these two, but. I definitely could feel a change, you know, Burns' departure. There's already a big change. Yeah, there's definitely a change, and it's definitely a step back. But I, I, despite the fact that Cockrum started the whole thing off, in my mind, like Burn is such a storyteller that probably, uh, or to, to Burns, uh, <laughs> Burns' claim probably wrote everything. But he and Claremont had such more of tug and a tug of war going that those stories were like two guys throwing everything they could into one story. And then you got these great stories. Now you're probably getting one guy throwing everything at Cochran being like, well, what if Nightcrawler does this? 
Uh, yeah, a little, a, little bit, like, a little bit less, a little yeah. bit fewer, fewer ingredients in the stew. Maybe this is more Claremont, probably less artist control. Yeah. Uh, and so I was like, oh, maybe it's going to be a huge step down after sort of, you know, and also after like two or three of the most classic X-Men stories. Right. From Death of Phoenix ever. and um, Days of Future Past, like you, you could have a step down and still have quite good stories. Yeah. So it's still good. And, I, and I, I'm still interested in reading more. Yeah, me too. But at some point, I think we're going to hit a point where we're going to say like, eh, let's wrap up. Yeah, that's right. And Who I don't knows? know when that is. Maybe it'll be today, even though we just said we're not done yet. Maybe we'll make maybe we'll make that decision halfway through this episode. Definitely last week we talked well, to Well, I've heard I've heard a good way to be successful as a podcast is make no plans. Mm-hmm. Don't let people have any idea what you're doing and don't be consistent. Well, last week we talked to Brett White and we covered the Executioner's song part two. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we'll stop before that issue. Oh yes. <laughs> Uh, We're not going to so, make it to the early nineties, uh, uh, but I don't know between, between uh, yeah, the early nineties when Brett White was devouring every comic book. And right now, I don't know when, I don't know when we get tired of it. I assume like the latest we'll go was like the fall of the mutants type crossover type stuff that's happening, right. but I don't know. We don't know. Well, maybe we'll be doing this for the rest of our lives. What did you think overall? What's your, what's your thousand mile high, uh, I love the burn adventure. The the final burn issue I thought was a real banger to go out on. Um, then there's a man thing story that I thought was, I think a little better than you thought, but for, forgettable, but fine. I don't, uh, I already have forgotten it. I read it a week ago and I don't, re- I just remember man thing is in it. That's all I remember about it. Yeah. Um, I also don't like man thing, I guess. Uh, because I like Swamp Thing so much, I kind of like Marvel's version of Swamp yeah. Thing, which I think came first. I think Man Thing came before Swamp Thing. There's a lot of argument about that. They're about the same time as the Okay, weirdness. yeah, that's really strange. And there's um, also a character called The Heap, uh, which is a swamp monster that I think precedes both of them. Yeah. Barely. I think and The so, Heap is the best name. I think Man Thing is definitely the worst name for a swamp creature. Swamp Thing isn't great either, but it's it's not like... yeah. Man thing just sounds like it's a euphemism for genitals. Um, well, it also thing just also, sounds like an awkward name. Also, man thing, they made the weird choice to not have him talk, which is a huge, that's a huge, it's already a tough sell, this character. Why there are three swamp monster leading book <laughs> characters, I have no idea. And why one of them, my Marvel would be like, ah, but here's the twist. Ours has no personality and doesn't talk. <laughs> well, the very, very first issue of Swamp Thing, Bernie writes an N. Len Wein, speaking of X-Men yeah. guy, uh, written by Len Wein and drawn by Bernie Wrightson. He Swamp Thing doesn't talk in that either. Oh, he didn't? <laughs> just just in that issue. He's kind of like a yeah. weird, like, Frankenstein creature. Um, I mean, because of, by the way, that is a, I love that issue. Swamp Thing number one is this, like, really beautiful little Tales from a Crypt style short story. Yeah. Uh, but then Swamp Thing does start talking. I think uh, they are all like just horror anthologies pre-Alan Moore. And Steve Gerber, I think, did different stuff with Man Thing at some point, though I never read those. But uh, they were all like originally like just horror anthology books centered around swamp monsters. It, it's, it, it's just very weird. It's not like, oh. It's, it's not like the, werewolves or something, like an established monster type. Yeah, you know, like or a, a house in the middle of the New England, like a Cthulhu house. It's a, a middle of the swamp is like, oh, where nobody lives. <laughs> I, I wonder if we're missing, like, if something in the early 70s, like maybe the movie Deliverance, you know, which was like yeah. these guys take that journey in the woods and get, like, menaced, to put it mildly, right. by hillbillies and stuff. Right. Um, like, 
menaced is a really funny way to describe the <laughs> yeah. actions of deliverance yeah. but um they get so, real so, they get real uh they get real razzed by those guys <laughs> <laughs> but well, they, give um, the, they give them the runaround <laughs> um but i maybe like the swamps of new orleans were just kind of part of the popular consciousness of the early 70s in a way yeah. that we just don't know because you know that'll happen like like, you know, like the movie Jaws happens in whatever, 1975, and basically ever since, but certainly for the next five or six years, the prospect of killer sharks was just like foremost in the popular imagination mm-hmm. in the way that it hadn't been because of that movie. You know, Do you think if we tell our dad who gave birth to us in the 70s, so he was a young he man. He gave then, birth to us, right? Not mom? He did it. He insisted. We emerged from our father's yeah. thigh like Zeus's sons. Well, our, our mom is deceased, so I'm not going to ask her this question. <laughs> okay. But, well, but I will yeah. ask our dad. If we mention, hey, dad, we Will and I are going on a trip to the middle of the swamp in uh, New Orleans, will he be terrified for us? Yeah, because he would have been around in the early 70s as a grown man watching stuff. So Yeah, so that maybe that will have seeped into his subconscious and he will be like, don't go! You don't think it'd be better just to ask him directly, hey, was there some kind of swamp? No. Okay. I'm worried it's subconscious and I need to trigger it. Okay. Visceral fear versus well, just like. You, I think you're going to see him at Thanksgiving. So maybe ask him. Yeah. I'll, I'll just say, Hey, Try my, son's the going to, my son's going to first grade in a swamp. What do you think? <laughs> and if he goes, eh, sounds good. Then, then there was then, nothing. Then that, that shoots your theory down. Anyways, three leading swamp creatures. So there's a man thing story here that I actually think was all right, but nothing special. And then a three part arcade and doom story that was, um, Sort of like jam packed with action. Yeah, it's um, all traps. It's it's it was it's just all traps and tra- all traps uh, extravaganza. And uh, and we do be, we're beginning to see what Claremont's uh, sorry what X Men's going to look like with Claremont without Burn, which I think is a lot more like emotional, like kind of soap opera melodrama speeches to to oversimplify it. Like yeah, he likes that. He likes that those passionate declarations of. I must, I must overcome this kind of vibe. Yeah. And I think so Bird like more, eh, shove a sock in it, bub. <laughs> kind of tough guy, was, tough guy talk. Yeah, Bird's a real tough guy. Uh, let's let's get into it. We, we took too long last week. Let's try to... Uh, so we're not doing page by page. We're just talking high level. Yeah, let's quickly talk about this Kitty Pride issue, which is probably the most famous of these three story arcs. I think it was okay. I, it didn't blow me away in any way, shape, or form. Uh, though I do like Kitty Pride a lot. Well, then I think I think- because the monster it comes from it is rooted in that that story we read a long time ago, early mailbag, uh, with like that monument that spouted demons or whatever. Yes. Suddenly, there's just a monument in the backyard of the X Men mansion that just makes monsters. That part diminishes the quality of the story to me where it's just like, Oh, what is the threat? Some sort of ghost monster thing that came out of the ground. Hmm. Oh, okay. See, that makes no difference to me. I'm sort of like, wherever the monster comes from that, that can be fun. But if it's just sort of like, I, I mean, I agree. That's kind of like dumb and forced, but what I liked about this, I mean, if I were going to sell this issue, Kevin, if I was going to sell somebody and read this mm-hmm. issue, I think what it is, is a, Horrific, powerful monster, a la the monster in Alien, the movie, yes. which you've never heard of, um, attacks Kitty Pride, and she's all alone and can't ask for help. And it's right on her heels the whole time, so she barely has any time to think. 
Mm-hmm. It's that kind of pace, like her versus a monster, and she and there is almost no margin for error. On and I'm part. all into that part of it. I get hurt by the fact that, like in Alien, the movie I haven't heard of, there are clear rules for how this alien operates. It doesn't cheat ever. Right. You don't like if this alien, uh, this demon in this comic book, uh, uh, turned into smoke and then reformed behind Kitty. I'd be like, I guess it can do that. And then if it turned into three of them, I'd be like, oh, okay, I guess it can do that. Where if that happened in halfway through the movie Alien, I'd be like, what? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and I want, I like my, I like my characters have rules. And when the rule is, it's some magical thing. Yeah, I don't care if it's even magic, but like, what are the rules to this magic? Uh huh. Like, there's a point in the story where it seems like maybe it's only keeping up with her because she's afraid, um, and that it's always right behind her. And if she believed she could defeat it, she would have defeated it. It's sort of like there's moments like that in the right, story, but right. I'm not 100 sure if that is the rules. Yeah, even that at the end, be, I wasn't that might sure. be some Claremont and Burns squabbling because I can see Claremont. Claremont loves the, you know, it's your fear, and like you know. Yeah. So it could just be something that Claremont threw in the caption and that wasn't in the plot because it's certainly not in the drawings. Um, so th- It looks to me like Byrne ripped off the monster from Alien. It looks mm-hmm. not too dissimilar from the from the creature in Alien and, and just sort of was like big scary thing chasing Kitty. The important part of the story is how Kitty handles it. You know, we're just seeing if the new kid can survive on her own. And yeah, I thought that was that's a, a cool fun idea. idea for an issue, and I loved it. And it's a fun idea to see Kitty do her thing. And there's uh, like I, that neat little, and the beginning of it, Professor X is sort of lecturing her on really how to, how to fly the ship, how to fly the Blackbird. And she's kind of begrudgingly, you know, repeating back the information. And then ends up saving her life at the end of the story. That's kind of nifty. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm all into that. I'm into the trappings of this. Like, if this was the alien from Aliens, I think I would have loved this issue. <laughs> what I really thought was funny was it looks, okay, maybe not exactly like the alien from Aliens, but vaguely like it. And I know that it's contemporary with the movie. And then Kitty thinks to defeat it by thinking of the movie Alien. She's like, yeah. hey, maybe I can do what they did to that monster in that movie. And I was like, probably not a good idea to refer to the source <laughs> that you are kind of ripping off a little bit this is like a direct to dvd movie that came out at the same time as alien was in theaters yeah like that that happens all the time now right but in that movie they're like we should do what they did in alien <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway i thought it was really fun and kind of a, an appropriate send-off for burn it's a very burn story i think more action and um we you know we'd see this stuff in the ff like the the premise for the issue is kind of a self-contained neat little framing device that is i don't know he's good at that he's good at like oh this would be a good little excuse for a 22 page adventure yeah i I mean i like solo stories there's a little bit of kitty pride calling colossus sexy which made me uncomfortable Mm -hmm. i know they end up together but she is so much younger than him Mm -hmm. a 13 year old calling a 20 year old best case scenario He's probably 20. I mean, it's revealed in a couple issues that Bobby Drake's a sophomore in college, so he's and, only 20. And Nightcrawler just had his 21st birthday. Yeah, so Colossus is probably in the 18 to 20 range. I mean, if he's 18, he is a big 18-year-old. Oh he's my made of steel. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't know any 18-year-olds. Don't you think it's better than Colossus calling Kitty sexy? Yeah, way better. But then nobody, <laughs> everyone just sort of, it happens and everybody's just like, oh, there you go. And it's just yeah. like, oh, this is weird. Shouldn't we yeah. discourage this 
13 year old girl um you're not a parent you don't understand will i don't get it i you know i'm a misogynist and i and i don't respect people much less women there's also Um, the subplot of uh cyclops joining a a boat yeah claremont loves boats or somebody loves boats because um we're on boats all the time in the x-men and yeah he joins some crew he's trying to get over the death of gene gray and he there's like a sexy lady captain and they like kind of are flirting with each other and there's that's happening too. Yeah. Um, and it ends with Kitty Pride's parents being, uh, it's also like a weird, the, the, the setup is like everybody just leaves her home alone at the holidays, right? Yeah. But it's a trick because they went to go get her parents and bring them back. But in her mind, she's like, I guess I'm home. I'm stuck here at the X mansion that I've never been in. I've only been at for like a month or two alone yeah. for the holidays and no one is hanging out with me. Yeah. Also when she got there, she was alone. They leave Kitty yeah. Pratt alone all the time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and she seems to take it. Okay. Honestly, she's, she's, she's like, in guess, a train. Yeah. Uh, but she's revealed to be a real formidable X-Men. That's kind of fun. And I'm, I give the issue in uh, a, yeah, this reminds me and probably everyone of the super friends episode <laughs> uh, where Robin and the wonder twins are left uh, alone at the Hall of Justice, and they have to yeah. defeat some uh, villains. It's probably what uh, they were thinking when they did this. That's probably what everybody thinks when they read this issue. Yeah. Hall of Justice, big building. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Not yeah. in the animation, though. I think it's like two rooms because they have to just keep reusing stuff. From the outside, though, it looks like, you know, oh, yeah, like you got the, like, a whole, like, looks like it's like a museum or something or an airport. Uh, so let's talk about issue 144 Man Thing. Um, this is drawn by Brent Anderson, who who I mostly know from Astro City. Yeah. Um, and the, the basic overall thing here is Scott and his lady captain, um, uh, his his new love interest, mm-hmm. um, her father has committed suicide because a supernatural creature called Despair mm-hmm. is... D-apostrophe ca- spare. Yep. Caused him amplified his depression or something like that. And so Scott and Alex, I think her name is. I think, I think, yeah, I think it's Alex or Lex or, or something like that. Al. I think Al is like, I think cause it was like a gender misdirect when they met, like. Yeah. And in the later issue, it's also similar enough to Jean. He uh, calls her Jean. Yeah. He well, calls, just her, calls Jean. her Jean cause he's missing Jean. Right, but in right. this issue, um, uh, she's taking him to meet her father, but she's accidentally takes him to meet despair. And so it's like Cyclops and Captain Al, mostly Cyclops fighting despair. And then also man thing is just sort of there and kind of helping Scott. And it's kind of a mishmash and despair and despair gets away. Man things burnt to a crisp, but then regenerates and Scott and the lady leave and nothing, nothing happens really by the end. Yeah. I mean, Scott also has like, a huge oh, his, dream sequence, right? His, Where he fights the X-Men again and, and Jean's alive and he gets married to her, but it's all in his mind while this goes on. And he's, uh, he also, he remembers, he's got a flashback where he remembers what happens to him and his brother being thrown out of a plane or something like that. Which I, I thought he knew already, but maybe I guess he didn't. It's and I knew that happened to him. So I don't know what Scott knows and what I know. Yeah. It, it's presented like, oh, his memory is brought back to him that he had lost. Yeah, so maybe he didn't remember. Maybe he didn't know that's... I thought that was a thing. I thought that was always part of his origin. I guess I just really don't know. But yes, Scott remembers being thrown out of a plane, remembers it more clearly. 
Um, this is a Claremont loves this thing, like the beings in your mind, right? Like Hellfire Club. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of like going into illusions and fighting, you know, illusions that are representative of your emotional struggles. And there's been like fighting fake versions of the X-Men before the X-Men fighting X-Men. Her um, name is so Lee. Her name is Lee. My bad. Lee um, Jean. I think they do sound slightly similar. I think they okay, play that off. Um, I don't know why I got Al. Um, but I don't know. Uh, because I love Swamp Thing so much, seeing Man Thing, I'm like, ooh, Swamp Guy. That's kind of fun. I will yeah, say it, I, it, I enjoy the uh, whoever knows fear shall burn at the touch of Man Thing. That is a fun thing. Man Thing works a slightly better as a occasional character creature that drops in on a Marvel comic. It is crazy to imagine him 12 issues of this a year, basically. Yeah. Uh, there's a fun little thing where he gets scared, so he catches on fire, which is that a fun is little fun, man yeah. thing loophole. Yeah, he must have been like, ah, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> I got to be careful not to get scared. I catch on fire. It feels like an issue that... Uh, in it's the like John Byrne quit. Call, we got to get something together. In the shooter era, they would like bank these sort of fill-in issues where it'd be like, often by different writers and artists completely, It'd be like, hey, uh, Will, Kevin, you guys just make a standalone X-Men issue that we can stick in when Chris Claremont falls behind his deadlines. Uh-huh. But Claremont's probably fast enough that he could bang out a few scripts. Though this fits into the plot of Cyclops and everything, so I don't think it is that. But it feels like that. It's like mm-hmm. nothing really changes. Like we, we check in on the X-Men, but nothing happens other than like it reminds us that Kitty is still afraid of Nightcrawler. Yes, and they're cleaning up the mess from Kitty's battle. They make fun of her for being so powerful and she takes it like as a, they're mad at her or something. Which they're sort of busting her chops to like compliment her, but she takes it personally because she's 13 or whatever. Yeah. Uh, uh, and Wolverine's like hundreds of years old. Thousands, thousands, maybe maybe tens of thousands. A lot uh, of people but, think he was Adam. <laughs> uh, these dinosaurs, bub. <laughs> uh, and then we enter into a three-part story with uh, <laughs> Dr. Doom in Arcade that doesn't fully make sense. It doesn't make sense, but the upshot is some of the X-Men are in Doom's castle where they're all put in like, traps, and then yeah. some of the X-Men are in Arcade's murder world where there's other more fanciful traps, yeah. and they all got to get out of their traps and then beat Doom in Arcade. Yeah. And somewhere well, in the middle, Storm and Doom have dinner. It seems like Doom and Arcade are working together, but also maybe Arcade has been captured by Doom. Or Arcade is tricking Doom or something like that. Yeah. There's a moment where Arcade like lights a cigarette by striking a match on Doom's armor, and Doom doesn't get that mad about it. Yeah. it's There's a lot in these three issues. There's a lot of stuff that is explained just in a caption. Yeah. Like the Blackbird appears, and there's a caption that says, even though they're, the danger room is out of commission from Kitty's battle... And the Blackbird was also destroyed in Kitty's battle. They've managed to fix Blackbird. It's like, <laughs> yeah, nice. I guess. <laughs> and, then it, and then Arcade, there's a reference to some earlier story where Arcade tried to uh, play Doom involving yeah. the character Toad, but that went sideways and so now doom yeah has like kidnapped arcade or, or is just uh, yeah, mad at and, him or something and so that happened i think it says in the cash mark like a marvel two and one or some maybe a marvel team up one of those two things 
Uh, oh, that's what I'm remembering now. Doom has Arcade captured. But, but he's walking free, right? He's captured, but it's not like Arcade's in a cell. Arcade he's is walking like, around Doom's main office just making jokes and like kind yeah. of being pretty aggressive towards Doom. So real quick. Way it, more aggressive it, it, than I would be if I got kidnapped. Yeah, yeah, you'd be scared of Dr. Doom, right? I'd be scared even if we were just going for coffee. <laughs> and certainly if he kidnapped me, I would really be watching my P's and Q's. I'd be like, you're doing great, Doom. We also start with reminding us that Storm doesn't like Kitty's ballet teacher. Or she doesn't know why something, about, something about her makes Storm uneasy. But we don't know why yet. We, we, don't we know still why. don't know why. We still don't know why. That doesn't get played out. But while Storm is at the ballet, all the X-Men's friends get kidnapped. And so this is uh, Angel's girlfriend, Nightcrawler's witch sister slash girlfriend. Who is continuing her career as a flight attendant, even though yeah. the jig is up. <laughs> yeah, she's still, she's still a flight attendant. She likes the job. She likes yeah. the Burks. Yep. Uh, uh, Ilyana Rasputin, future um, member of the New Mutants, who's still a child at this point, yes. is kidnapped. Peter's little sister. Uh, this ballet teacher is kidnapped. And Jean's parents, which is just cruel, because Jean's not even in the X-Men right now. Yeah. There's a moment where when Storm goes to the Jean Grey's family's house and they remind you of this this gem that has the, the uh, Aurora of goes, Storm goes. Yeah, Storm goes. Sorry, what did I say? You said Jean Grey, I think. Jean Grey comes back to life and goes, small <laughs> moment. Yeah, Storm goes to the, the Jean Grey's family's house and they remind you of that orb that has like Jean Grey's memories in it. Yes. And it's smiling in two panels and then he gets really serious in one panel. Yeah. And I was like, oh, is this like, was this Chris Claremont setting up his back door to bring Jean Grey back if he decided to do that? Yeah, because it's like her brain is in there almost. I mean, there might be a storyline that deals with this at some point. I don't know. But it feels like that is a storyline being seeded. Uh, also, the, 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 this is a side issue. The X-Men have done a lot of branding under Cockrum because uh, Nightcrawler's girlfriend has a Nightcrawler doll. <laughs> and Colossus is wearing a sweater with like a big X on it. <laughs> uh, I don't know. It feels like they started a school store at some point. There's also Professor X's wealth is apparent that he's got a private box at the at the Met. Yeah, yeah. Uh, how often is he using that box? Is he a big opera fan? I don't. I don't remember that being a big part of Professor X's mythology. Hey, man, if you can afford a private box, you get a private box. I guess so. Um, so they decide the the X Men can't decide whether to. Oh, so so the, the friends all get kidnapped, and the, the deal is go rescue Arcade from Doom, or we'll kill your friends. And the X-Men are like, well, we got to do it. We have to save our friends. Or Wolverine's like, no, let's go kill Arcade and just take our friends back. So they do both. Right. They can't decide which to do, so they recruit more X-Men so they can do both. And they, like, recruit Havoc and Iceman and Polaris to help out. And Banshee, the powerless Banshee, which is... It's also funny that Banshee's involved. He hasn't had powers for like years. Yeah, but his girlfriend is kidnapped. I get that he was he'd want to do it. Yeah. Um. So they that th there is a lot of like, especially in the first issue, just like logistics. There's a lot of like Claremont sort of likes gathering the team. He likes spending time on that. I think like, you know, Professor X summons everybody, and we see Professor X summoning all the different X Men to come help and. You know, Aurora goes to Jean Grey's house and they investigate the people who've been kidnapped. Like there's yeah. a lot of just like scoping out the lay of the land here. And just reminding you where everybody is. Uh, is that good? I mean, like, do we need that? Like we know. I like it. I think yeah. it just goes right into the adventure every time. Sometimes you can start, you know, burst right into the adventure. But 
I think if you don't spend some time just with like uh, the real world, uh, as as it were, for X Men comics, it starts feeling procedural and not yeah. like a serial storytelling. I, like their personalities come out more in the sequences where it's like Aurora going, "I gotta fly over there and check on everybody. I gotta bend the winds so that I can get to Jean Grey's house really fast to see if she's okay, to see if her family's okay." Yeah. It also gives us time to check in on Cyclops, who washed ashore on an island off panel. Oh, right. That's another thing that just happens in a caption. Like, so we last saw that her uh, dad committed suicide in childhood home, burned to the ground at the hands of despair and man thing. Yeah. But now, separate than that, they got back to the boat on off panel. The boat capsized and they washed off ashore panel. on an island off panel. Yeah. And so, like, that to me is more disruptive. I would have liked to have seen that shipwreck. Yeah. That feels like a thing we should have seen. Maybe instead of the Man-Thing story? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Or, or even just as part of the Man-Thing story? It could have had that happen, right? It, if you feel like you could have had a page. <laughs> so it's weird that Claremont is like so attentive to detail in some ways, and then also is totally fine just throwing that in as an off-panel caption. And I guess also we don't know how much of this is Cockrum, right? How much of the pacing is Dave Cockrum versus Claremont? That's true, yeah. We don't know what kind of scripts are being sent around here. Uh, You're absolutely right. And you got to think Claremont is, especially if he and Byrne were bristling at each other, Claremont is really trying to flex here. You'd think he would be more in control just because he wants to show that he's, he's the guy Yeah, that makes the X-Men work. But I don't know. That's me guessing of an ego that I, I don't know whether existed. We don't know. Um, what do you think? So then we get into the bulk of the issue, which is, Traps central, just like traps, yeah. traps, traps. Like I Doom, Doom has a ton of traps and then also Arcade has a ton of traps. It's very funny that both these guys separately have invested a Canadian superhero budget's worth of money into incredibly <laughs> elaborate physical traps. I love Doom's traps. Okay. That he he says like, my traps are built with a way that I think they can get out. <laughs> like these are very fair traps. These are not traps. He's like, let's watch them slowly die in my traps. He's like, they can get out. If they're as good as everyone says, there's a way out of each of these traps. Let's see if they can do it. Like he kind of is, wants them to get out so that he can study them. And I think that is really cool. <laughs> so what are the traps? Uh, Nightcrawler is just in a featureless room. <laughs> Before the traps, Doom has also built a storm robot. Oh, right. Yeah. Why? <laughs> he turned Storm into like a statue of steel. Goldfinger's Storm. Like, yeah, she's like, she's sort of metal. She's trapped in a metal thing. Uh, and then so that with her still a storm walking around so that Will doesn't stop reading the comic, uh, Doom has built a Storm robot. Yes. Um, I don't know. Just, I think just to have power over a storm, kind of, just because <laughs> he's kind of cares? obsessed with Storm or something like that. Yeah, Storm's pretty he also cool. Had, he also has a date with Storm. Yeah, that was last issue, right? He had dinner with Storm, then turned her into metal and built a robot of her. <laughs> you know, Seems have you had a creepy. date like that recently? I've tried. I've been like, hey, I don't know how you're feeling. Um, what if I made a robot out of you? Yeah. <laughs> um, your, your Tinder profile is like... Uh, we'll uh, make a robot out of you, yeah. I say. Uh, uh, likes sushi and Italian food. Making uh, robots uh, out of people. I've looking gone for a woman day. I can make a robot out of after I turn her to steel. <laughs> um, I'm sure a certain type of person would be intrigued. Uh, so, yes, yeah, Storm uh, yes. is... Sorry, sorry, go. 
So Storm is trapped in a statue. She is controlling the weather from within her metal form. She, yeah. Doom is like, I, there's a huge storm that is centered around Castle Doom, and they constantly <laughs> check in on Doom, going, maybe Storm is doing this. <laughs> maybe the goddess of weather control, who I have is, imprisoned right here next to me, is the reason there is a giant East Coast <laughs> destruction hurricane sized hurricane. Centered on my place. <laughs> hmm, could be. I am a master of deduction. But he spends like the whole time never quite buying it. He's like, maybe. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Ah, I, he, he's smart enough to know that it's that it, there's a good chance of that, but not enough to say, yes, that is what's happening. And Storm is in her own little personal hell, right? Because she's claustrophobic in this. So now she's yeah. trapped in the smallest container possible. Yeah, her body. Her body. So... um. It's really bad. That's her trap. And Nightcrawler, as you were starting to say, is in a a featureless box. He could teleport out of it, but he doesn't know what's outside of it. So he can't teleport into a wall. Right. So he's weirdly stuck there. Yeah. I'll say this. I figured out how he was going to get out long before he did. I was like, well, I know what I would do if I was Nightcrawler, which is what Nightcrawler eventually does. All right. That's a good, that's a good, I think in a way, that's a good story. Yeah. Um, I liked it. Wolverine Colossus. Okay, Colossus is the most elaborate. He's on a mountain. Yes, like that a, is slowly crumbling. through Because of a whirlpool, and within the whirlpool are lasers. Yeah, so <laughs> he could jump into the whirlpool. He doesn't need to breathe in his metal form, which I don't think I knew. <laughs> uh, it's probably been said, but I didn't. I was not aware of it. So he doesn't need to breathe. So he's like, I could jump into the water. I don't need to breathe if I'm metal, but then I'll get blasted to bits by all these lasers. Or if he waits uh, in the mountain, he'll eventually fall in the water and drown. Yeah, so he doesn't know what to do. Uh, yeah, Wolverine is in sort of a checkerboard room. Yeah, kind of an optical illusion, just like, yeah, you know. It, he's, it's, he's floating like a, around. Kind of an Alice in Wonderland situation. Like, yeah, he's floating around. He doesn't quite know what's up or down or where the walls are. And it's 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 just a real, you know, he's re- it's it's like it's like the movie um uh, 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 Jaws. Uh, no, <laughs> I was gonna say the Jurassic movie you Park. mentioned. The movie you had mentioned before in the South, the Swamp. Uh, Deliverance. Uh, Deliverance. It's like Deliverance. He's really being <laughs> razzed by the room. That's what I was going to say, and then I lost the movie title. Um, he's just disoriented and off balance, I guess. It's he's just like sort bouncing of like... off walls. There's a panel where he's just ricocheting around the walls. It's very silly. <laughs> okay, so that's that's those guys. Yeah, Angel is in a birdcage. <laughs> Oh, right. And if he leaves the perch, lasers shoot at him until he goes back to the perch. Yeah, so he's got to stay on this perch. It's a very humiliating trap. Where where are these traps in the geography of Doom's castle, and what were the rooms used for before? Well, this is also not Doom's main castle. Okay. This is his American castle. Ah. Because he is no longer, he's deposed from Latveria, as mentioned in a caption. Oh, I, I, I missed that. Yeah, so he he also does not have diplomatic immunity, the thing that he got away with murdering people all the time before <laughs> uh, because of his diplomatic immunity. Now he doesn't have that right now. So he has to be, has to be a little quieter about his crimes. I remember that in the old FF issues. Uh, Doom has diplomatic immunity. He we tried to can't... destroy the world. Yeah, what are you going to do? Yeah, diplomatic immunity. Um, okay, so I guess this castle is mostly just for traps. Yeah. Uh, uh, there's also a moment where a lightning bolt from Storm's storm hits Cyclops on his island and knocks his blindfold off his face. Yeah. I love that. It's very silly. 
Um, my blindfold, a- he screams as he blasts <laughs> lasers next to his lady friend. Uh, and then we cut to the other mutants that were going to murder world. And that is Polaris and Havoc, Havoc. Banshee and Iceman. And guess what happens at Murder World? Everything's thrown into Murder World. Oh, yeah. That's what happens. Yeah. Also, all the uh, trapped friends are once again wrapped in gift boxes. I don't know why Arcade does that. <laughs> like, he doesn't put them in jail cells or tie them up. They're in, like, a, like gift-wrapped boxes with giant bows. <laughs> it's, it's He's kind of a... He's kind of a, a more fun joker in a way, you know, like <laughs> not so intent on murder. He's really, he's really into the theme. So their traps are having a sent into like an outer space star Wars adventure. Yep. Uh, Iceman is put onto an ice rink. Uh, that is an, uh, an acid pool. Above a pool of acid. Yeah. So as the ice melts, he'll then fall into acid and a bunch of either robots or mercenaries in hockey Uniforms come That's out right. to mess with him. Uh, uh, Polaris is put on a, uh, uh, a merry-go-round with real horses or robot horses or something. Yeah, with sharp teeth and, and also, also a little it, Ilana robot. Yeah, a little Ilana Rasputin robot running around who shoots at her every now and then. Mm-hmm. The themes here are a little looser. <laughs> uh, Banshee is sent to the old west. He's kind of in a West World situation, like a Wild West sim- simulation. Yeah, though he's brought with him um, like Nick Fury, like spy gear. Right, he's got his gadgets. It's um, a lot of traps, and Ken. so it's a lot of traps. Havoc gets out of his the first in Murder World. He like just jumps off his ship at the last second, and then like climbs into the guts of Murder World, which is always what happens. Somebody sneaks into like the 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 utility behind the walls of Murder stuff, World. Yeah. Uh, uh, Polaris the- blows up her merry-go-round right um and then somehow falls into bobby drake's ice rink and he right. uses his ice powers to save her from falling mm-hmm. then i forget That's how right. they get out uh well some of the all everybody except for havoc kind of gets thrown together because then uh banshee banshee somehow moves from the old west to a a roller coaster he sees um Moira McTaggart tied to the tracks of a roller coaster, and then, and then like Ice Nightcrawler's and, girlfriend and Angel's girlfriend tied yeah. in the roller coaster car, yeah. hurtling toward Moira. But none of them were the actual people; they're all killer robots as well. Turns out they're all robots, yeah. And then yeah, Iceman just sort of shows up there with Polaris, so they're kind of all there together. So uh, Polaris, is, yeah, stops the roller coaster from hurting Moira, but then they're all robots anyways. So yeah, they save robots. Yeah, and then 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 havoc. Uh, there's this great moment where uh, they're like, "Oh, uh, uh, they're watching the the lady. I forget her name, but uh, Arcade's assistant is yeah, watching Ms. all Locke. this." In the, yeah, Miss Locke is watching on the video screens, and havoc sort of just leans demurely over the <laughs> control board. Um, she says something like, "Nobody can get to the heart of Murder World." He goes, "Really, nobody or something?" Like yeah, that. that's exactly. Uh, and then he blasts her with his, you know, havoc laser hands. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that's how they get free. And while this is happening, we cut back to Castle Doom and Nightcrawler has escaped. And what was the way out, Kevin? Well, we don't, aren't told this issue, but the real answer is Dave Cockrum is back. So he's going to be the he's going to let his guy be the first one to escape, not Wolverine. Yeah. yeah. Uh, his way out was just teleporting up a few miles. Two miles. Right. Like, and that's what I was saying is like, you kind of have an idea how tall most buildings are. Just teleport way higher than any building could be. 
get a lay of the land, quickly get and be ready to like teleport down. Yeah. Before Which is what he does, falling. basically. Yeah, basically. Uh, and there's a huge, I mean, what he didn't know is that there's a huge storm based storm going on. <laughs> right, right, right. But he uses that. He uses the updrafts. Yeah, which I wouldn't, that would not have been part of my plan to rhyme <laughs> the wind. Um, I'm not a circus performer like Nightcrawler. Right. Uh, so that's how Nightcrawler gets out. And I thought Nightcrawler was going to get a chance to free everybody now that Cochran was back, but everyone sort of gets free on their own. Colossus realizes that if he just stays human, he can swim down the water without the lasers getting him. So yeah, he, he just holds below breath. the lasers, yeah, and then turn into Colossus and punch out. Yep, that's the that's the loophole that Doom left for him, I guess. Yep. Angel figures out the pattern of the lasers so that he can fly out through the laser maze. Yep. Uh, and Wolverine has a bit of a hallucination of like when he used to be uh, real angry, but then he just sort of swings wildly with his claws until the walls break open, which it doesn't feel like a. He didn't I don't solve think that's it. The, yeah, I don't think he solved the riddle. I think he's just like, I'll just break everything. He just brute forced his way out. Yeah. And so then they all, and somehow, how do the murder world guys get there? I forget how. But well, so, so there's also, I forget what Wolverine happens gets out. Doom gets out. I've got the issue open in front of me. Doom, uh, Wolverine gets out, goes to see Doom, sees Storm, thinks to himself, why is Storm not attacking? Then slices Storm up, realizing she must be a robot. So then yeah. he says to Doom, I knew right away that that wasn't Storm. It's like, no, man, you thought in your head, why is she not attacking? You, It took a minute. Don't brag. Yeah, don't be scared to be vulnerable, Wolverine. Uh, but so, yeah, Wolverine's attacking Doom. Nightcrawler teleports, has by this point gotten back to the castle and joins in the fray. Um, Doom gives them the cure to Storm, which is like a little Because volume. Wolverine threatens his life. Yeah, and... and uh, Doom buys it. Doom says, oh, you wouldn't bluff. You do not bluff Wolverine. And that way, we are much alike. And then we get angry storm, revengeful yes. storm. And the cover of this issue sort of plays off the fact that this is Dark Phoenix Part 2. Yeah, this is like uh, Rogue Storm, it's called. Yeah, and, and the cover says, are we going to do it again or something like that? What's it say exactly? I'm going to yeah. flip to the cover. It shows like storm, blasting power, and all the X-Men being thrown about and Doom. And it, the caption says, we did it before. Dare we do it again? And it plays into that in this issue, right? It, yeah, everyone Storm is sort of like, control. And everyone's like, uh-oh, Storm's going to kill us all just like Phoenix. And we're going to have to put her down. We don't want that to happen. Uh, but they eventually do talk her down. There's a lot of that, right? Like inner nature, like Wolverine's wrestling with his animal nature. Phoenix lost to her evil uh nature i guess and now storm is wrestling with that uh, doom lets arcade go if arcade apologizes to doom <laughs> <laughs> that's all he wanted was an apology <laughs> what a, i mean i don't know i think doom might be the worst villain in the marvel universe sometimes <laughs> i mean like he loses most of the time there has is, more pride than anybody. There is a lot of people talk a lot about with the MCU. They're like, uh, you need Doom. Doom will be the next Thanos. Once Doom, well, now that they have the rights to Doom, Doom. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, I, then I'm like, I don't know. Is Doom the best villain in the Marvel Universe? I think he's his, one of those his guys. His name is silly. He's the most famous villain. Yes. He's got the silliest name. I feel like he he's like the, a lot. His trappings are so melodramatic. Yeah. I don't know if he works outside of the comics. Like, Also, I think he's kind of the main villain 
because he's already the main villain, if that makes any sense. I mean, he's got a great visual design. I think he looks mm-hmm. yes, like really interesting and cool. It's that Jack Kirby design. That mask does a lot of heavy lifting for the character of Doom. Yeah, it's just really great. Li- I mean, it screams villain. It's it's mm-hmm. it, it's not cliche. Um, but and so I just think a lot of very talented writers and artists have used their talents to make yeah. Doom work as a villain. I'm not so sure that the natural story of Doom is a good villain. Yeah. You I know? mean, obviously it's we kind of do- like Goblin versus Dr. Octopus. Like there is Goblin is really the number one villain in the Spidey universe, but Octopus works better and is maybe a better story. Like the scientist who had, you know, been bullied and mm-hmm. let, let his resentments corrupt him and stuff. Uh, yeah, Doom is too evil, basically. When, when a villain is just evil, seemingly for evil's sake, you lose a little bit of like, all right. What, well, like, I would say also it's just arbitrary. Like, I'm going to capture the X-Men, but I'm going to put them in a fair trap. <laughs> and then if you yeah. apologize, we're all good. Storm, let's have dinner. It's like, what's happening? What is your yeah. end game here, dude? He wants to kill the FF because Reed is... Some people think Reed is smarter than him, and yeah, but you don't. I, I, I like doesn't and like, but Reed doesn't really antagonize him or deal with like. It's always like Reed if, respects if, Doom, right? Yeah, if Doom didn't attack the FF, they would never have bothered him ever. Yeah, he could have ruled his nation. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. I, I I think Doom carries with him a lot of problems. I, Doom works better as protagonist than an antagonist. He's better in Secret Wars and in Triumph and Torment than he is as a villain most times. It's interesting. Anyway, yeah. uh, that's how it wraps up. And then, like, Cyclops and Lee find a city on their deserted island. Oh, right. Well, uh, which I don't know anything about. I think it's Magneto-related, but uh, I have not read the next issue yet. Well, we're off and running in the Claremont era post-burn. So we gonna, we're doing more? Yeah, let's do more. All right. Uh, let's take a break and read some emails. Fine. Hi, this is Kevin. I'm here with my brother, Will, and we are the hosts of Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics, our weekly podcast about comic books. And we want to hear from you. We have a slew of social media accounts, a slew. You can email us at screwitcomics at gmail.com or see us on Instagram at screwitcomics or tweet at us at screwitcomics. So tell us what you think of the comics you like or the comics you don't or things we've talked about on our episodes. Or send us some life advice. You can tell that we need it. Yes. Uh, We might read your message on a future episode of our show. So thanks. In advance from Screw It, we're just going to talk about comics from Campfire Media. And we're back. Let's read some emails, Will. Let's do it. The first one I want to read is one we just got. It's the most recent email we got, but I want to start with it anyway, instead of doing the fair thing of starting with the oldest ones. Okay. This is from Kevin Beddingfield. Uh, This is in response to the podcast we had with Chris Gethard. Okay. Uh, In your recent podcast with Chris Gethard on the graphic novel Triumph and Torment, someone, I think Chris, wondered if the story about Doom's yearly attempts to free his mother from hell was created for the graphic novel. It, in fact, was not. There was a Doom solo backup story in Astonishing Tales number 8, published 1971, which goes into his yearly quest to rescue his mother. It's an excellent read full of classic Doom quotes. Quote, Doom needs no one is one example. Available on Marvel Unlimited. This is not an ad. (laughs) For another take on essentially the same thing, you should dig up What If? Issue 22, 
What if Dr. Doom became a hero from 1980? Setting aside the rather ridiculous-looking hero Doom's armor, uh, this is another good tale which has a nice twist on the Astonishing Tales one and probably some influence on Triumph and Torment. Roger Stern was masterful in taking these one or two single issues and building this incredible graphic novel. Also, the aged Genghis was first introduced in 1965 in Strange Tales 136. Huh. So we had we asked all those questions and we refused to look them up ourselves. And, and then Kevin Benningfield did. Kevin Benningfield has rewarded us for our laziness. He's done the work for us. So thank you, Kevin. Those early 70s, late 60s are a real total void for me of knowledge. Like mm -hmm. stuff that happened that I really don't know. Like Dr. Doom could have become like a vampire for a while. I'd be like, no, I didn't, I didn't know that. Dr. Doom becomes Howard the Duck, you know, for like a year. I wouldn't notice it. We've got a bunch of people requesting things for us to cover. Let me do, do these okay. all sort of together. <clears throat> Bernie Lockard emails us. They announced new issues of Saga. This is the Brian Vaughn, Fiona Staples comic book. Will, have you read that? I've read the first three trades, I think. All right. So, so yes. back early 2022, any chance of a saga season or any of Brian, Brian K. Vaughn's other works? They're all so good. I'm sure you've asked this, you've been asked this before. I'll sweeten the pot and say Ditko gets credit for it. <laughs> Smart move, Bernie. Smart. I can see that happening. Uh, we don't yeah. have that on the short list. Um, I love he, everything Brian Vaughn has done as well, or almost everything. He, he did Why the Last Man, right? He did Why the Last Man. He did Runaways. He did Saga. Paper he Girls? Did, uh, Paper Girls. Those are the big ones I can think of. Yeah. There's one other one that I'm forgetting probably. Did he do the one He's that's like the horizontal? Uh, yes. You got uh, it for me and I, I can't remember the name of it. It's yes, like... yes, yes. With Marcos Martin. Private Eye. Yeah. Yeah, he did Private Eye. He did, um, he did Doctor Strange the Oath, which is a really great Doctor Strange story. Also with Marcos Martin. Yeah. So we could do a Brian K. Vaughn thing. Um I mean, he's really good. So that makes yeah. me not want to. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's possible, I guess. Um, maybe because he's somebody that we came to later. It, we do tend to go more towards our childhood favorites, but yeah, maybe. I don't, I don't know. Saga is um, really interesting. Let's see. We got well, um, Saga and Why the Last Man I read like half of. I mean, Saga's not done yet, but I read like three trades of Saga and I just like, I really enjoyed them. And then I wasn't psyched to pick up another one. And I'll do that with television shows sometimes too i'll watch like i watched the first season of last man on earth and really enjoyed it and i was like i don't need to see any more of this i i don't i don't know why yeah i i've so read much all stuff sometimes that i'd rather like just move on to something new i've read all of saga and um uh, why last man why last man so long ago that recently somebody our friend andrew secunda was asking me what i thought of the ending and i was like i don't remember how it ended i was like i remember liking it but i don't i can't i don't remember I remember like a couple moments, but I don't remember the broad strokes of it even because I read it so long ago and I have not reread it since it completed. Uh, a saga also like uh, I used to pre-child, pre-me having a child, I would often when I got a new trade, read the last trade and the current trade. Yeah. To help refresh my memory. But I don't have time to do that. So now when I get things, I'm just like, I'm just reading the new stuff and I'm like, I don't remember what's going on. And usually it's good enough that I'm like, oh, I enjoyed reading this, but I don't remember the previous trade that well. And Saga is one of these books where I pick it up, I'm like, I don't remember what's going on. And then halfway through, I'm like, oh man, this book is so good. And then I get to the end of it, go, ah, I can't wait for the next one. And then, you know, three or four or five, six months go by, the next yeah. one comes out and I repeat. I'm like, I don't remember what's going on. <laughs> uh, the art is amazing. There's lots of weird ball sack images and things. I don't know. <laughs> it's good. 
Uh, we could definitely pick something from Savannah. It's a possibility, I guess, is the answer. Good suggestion. Jacob Koslo, who I believe has emailed us uh, at least Sounds once familiar. before. Sounds familiar. Uh, my dear Sops, I would. A lot of people are emailing their requests for what will replace X Men after we stop covering Claremont X Men. Okay. Uh, I would love it if you guys came back to Fantastic Four for the mailbag apps in the future. I kept reading sporadically after following along with your Kirby season, and Byrne really killed it. He reminds me of Dan Slott or Chris Claremont, somebody who understands the character and history but knows how to evolve the story effectively. Plus, while I know you already covered the story and isn't part of the run, this milksop, this mailbag is a fun title. <laughs> <laughs> right that is a fun title it is a fun title <laughs> um we talked about doing the burn ffs in place of the uh the, the claremont x-men yeah i think that's a good suggestion a, we, yeah, we really love all those about. issues and so that is a vote for doing that yeah okay so brian spiker emails us i'm enjoying your meeting some mailbag episodes i went back and read claremont's x-men when the days of future past movie came out the movie did have a plan, but it confused it by introducing new characters and making Mystique a good guy. I'm writing because I had an idea for what comes after Mutants. He's talking about what we should cover yeah. after the Mutants. I would really like to listen to you guys talk about some 90s Marvel storylines that were bonkers, but not in a good way. I'm sure there's some great stories that were fantastic, but what about the ones that were crap? The Clone <laughs> Saga is what comes to mind most, but I'm sure there are others. Come on, Milksops, read us some stinkers so we can find the golden last and four to five Spider-Man clones. So his vote is us to read something we will not enjoy. It's actually kind of a good suggestion, though, because that's another period of comics that I've never really read. Like I sort of mm -hmm. read a ton in the 80s, totally ignored the 90s, except for like Astro City and lots of like, you know, artsy, fantagraphics, Dan Klaus, Eleven Rocket stuff. And then like kind of dip my toes in now and then wherever you tell me to. The 90s was not a good era. I mean, the New Warriors is what everyone wants me to read, which is 90s Marvel. I, I didn't like most of what I read in the Marvel 90s. So, yes, But it could be fun, though. I, I appreciate the spirit of this suggestion. It's, it's surprisingly good. Enjoy us when we covered, like, the bad parts of, like, the FF or when we made fun of the Hulk issues, though I think those are genuinely good issues. But, like, we do make fun of the bad parts in a loving way. If we could find the love for those 90s comics, I think we could do a good job of it. So I think it is a good suggestion. I don't know if it's one we'll do because I just don't know if we have the patience to spend like 10 episodes covering a whole bunch of those. I think we'd get burned out pretty fast. We could do we could do a, an occasional 90s Marvel special, though. Like we don't yeah, we commit could, to we, it for episodes and episodes, but maybe a little taster yeah. now and then might be all right. I don't think we could do a long stretch. Yeah, I yeah. think that's true. Uh, we could do a, a, a bad well, we've talked about maybe at some point doing something where we let people vote on, and we would just cover what everyone voted. So yeah. maybe if we instituted something like that, how that would uh, how did this get drawn? Sort of thing. Like <laughs> exactly. Uh, that that's ooh, that's a good name. <laughs> Completely, you made that up on your own right now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, ben S has a suggestion, but first he wants to talk about Bradley as well. Okay. Uh, I have been listening to your show since halfway through the Fantastic Four run. I'm amazed anyone who started with the Fantastic Four run stuck with us. I know. What an insane thing that we did. So thank you, Ben Sanborn. Uh, I'm now uh, binging all the old episodes. When Will mentioned he picked up the first Spider-Man Pocket Digest at a Bradley's, <coughs> that immediately yeah. brought me back to being 10 years old in 1983 and hunting for the latest G.I. Joe action figures. I grew up in Southern Maine, so Bradley's and Zayers will always be close to my heart pouring out great Fanta for my department store homies. P.S. Please cover Grunewald's Squadron Supreme. 
It's not exactly Watchmen, but it's the same general neighborhood. I wish it got more accolades than it currently does. I, I've read, I remember reading Squadron Supreme when it came out and then again after Watchmen came out and thinking like, it's pretty good. Like I just remember that being my general reaction to it. Like it's nowhere near as epic or as affecting as Watchmen, but it's like really solid. Yeah, and I haven't read it, so it'd be good for me to read it eventually. I should read it. Mark D emails us and says, Dear brothers, have I suggested yet that you do Frank Miller's Daredevil? This morning, I realized that if you start when Miller takes over the writing in issue 168, it's only 24 issues. If you don't have time for that, I would recommend the early three-issue arc where Kingpin enters the book 170 to 172. With the benefit of hindsight, you can see Miller introducing a lot of the tropes and themes he would develop in his Daredevil run and his other work too. Yours swingingly from the rooftops wise, Mark D. Wow, only 24 issues. That actually does surprise me. Um, I guess that uh, makes sense, but I feel like it's like a four-year run, but yeah, wow. Uh, 24 issues, yeah, that's just two years. Um, Man, he changed Marvel Comics in those two years. I yeah, think. He made Daredevil uh, somebody to care about. Yeah, uh, so like, those are all the suggestions for things we cover. Uh, those are all really good. Yeah. Some, I think, are votes for things we've mentioned maybe covering, and some of those are things that people just – we have not mentioned covering, but people think we should. Miller Daredevil is very much in our wheelhouse, right, because we read it when we were younger. That might be a little bit more me than you, but that is in the time period that we tend to cover. Yeah, I mean, I definitely respect it and appreciate it for what it is, but it's weirdly something – I definitely did not read it when it came out. I read it later on when you got the collections that I've stolen from you um, that I yeah. now have. I like read it when they got collected in those Marvel visionary trades for the yeah. first time ever. I read born again when it came out. Cause you made me, I think, and enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I was a little young to, I think, fully appreciate how good it was. Right. Um, I now appreciate it. So I've only read the daredevil stuff once. Uh, so it, that's definitely a good thing. Here's one I've been sitting on for a while. Christopher Tuttle, big fan of your podcast, both comics and Beatles. Well, hmm. uh, due to my completionist tendencies and the vast amount of media I want to consume, the amount of media I want to consume. I just finished listening to your exploration of the Fantastic Four now. Yeah. It's a comic I was aware of, but never actually read. I happened across the first issue of Fantastic Four Life Story and decided to check it out because of your podcast. So, Will, Life Story is a comic uh, that is as if real time progressed from when the first issue of FF came out. So, okay. wh whatever that is, 1961. One. One. Uh, so, if each issue like covers a decade of the FF's life. So when they get four issues in, we're talking, they're all 40 years have passed or 30 years have passed since they got their powers. Okay. Uh, it's written by Mark Russell. I forget who's drawing it, which is terrible, but I don't have it in front of me. What fortuitous timing pun clearly intended. The mini series is a retelling of the biggest moments from the group's history and is the perfect companion piece to your podcast or the other way around. The this man, this monster beat would have seemed poignant but odd to me had I not already listened to your description of the original. Thank you so much for introducing me to the wondrous world of magical science. So yeah, uh, I'm reading the life story. It's good. They also did a Spider-Man one uh, and they're sort of done differently. The Spider-Man life story hits all the beats that happen in those decades, but through the filter of like a Spider-Man who's older and has gone through literally everything that has happened. So different decisions are made. The FF one is different in the sense that like Galactus does not come in the 60s. So it doesn't hit the things when they happen in the decades. So it's not like the 60s, everything happens and then nothing happens in the 70s. Yeah. Uh, it's more like the whole thing is about like Reed preparing for Galactus in this, in the first issue, he realizes Galactus is coming and he spends his whole life preparing for it. Uh, okay. I think there's one more issue to come. 
and it like ruins his marriage and everything else. Uh, it's weird. It's a weird comic. Mark Russell is a very good writer, but it is a very different thing. But I recommend them both. They're both fascinating reads. They're very much nostalgic. Yeah. Ish type comics, which are so we many. We need a type- name for those type of Mar- Marvel comics, especially that just like re sample the yeah. continuity. Yeah. I mean, this like, is obviously not, in, it, this is not like a mortal Hulk where it's trying to like tie it into the current continuity. It's just like, here's a side story, but just playing with everything that's happened. Yeah. But it's something um, that like it should work on its own, but it definitely feels enriched if you were already familiar with these milestones and you get to see them in a new context. Like yeah. I would count Marvels by Kurt Busiek as yeah, this is one of those. Um, Maybe one of the first like of life those. story is this. And I do think Immortal Hulk and Heroes of X, Powers of X is sort of an offshoot of this, where it's like mm-hmm. very much reincorporating stuff that you are familiar with, but now in a new context. I mean, Grant Morrison sort of did that with Batman too. His Batman run, which uh, I could barely follow, was basically like, what if everything that ever happened to Batman happened? Like, how would I make sense of that was sort of what they were trying to do. Didn't an all-star Superman sort of rebooted or kind of like represented classic archetypes in new ways? Yeah, though I don't think all-star Superman, you need to uh, know the history of Superman. Right, it's a lot friendlier to the new reader. I think it's more like I boiled it down to the essence of what I think Superman is versus like I'm playing with the entire tapestry. Okay, Okay. uh, I see what what you're saying. uh, but yeah, Marvel's definitely fits that category where it's like, let's revisit all these great Marvel things from the guy in the streets viewpoint. Yeah. Though I read that not having read a lot of those classic moments first, some of them I had, uh, it, I don't know. It's fun in both ways, I guess. Yeah. Uh, Marvel's is great. That's a bold statement. <laughs> uh, what do we got? What do we got? Um, speaking of Kurt Busiek, we ran, you know, in one of the issues of X-Men we covered today, the first one with Kitty Pride versus the alien. There's a letter from a young Kurt Busick in the in that issue, 143. Oh, right. Telling Chris Claremont that he hates the X-Men now because of what they did to Jean Grey. He did not like Dark Phoenix, the Dark Phoenix saga. He's very impassioned, like rejection that was published. It's very yeah. it's kind of fun to see. And I think it is brought up to Kurt every now and then because we looked for it on Twitter and we found someone recently asking him about it and him sort of responding to it, being like, I was 16, <laughs> like basically. Yeah. I liked Gene Gray and I was 16. Get off he my said he case. was 19. 19, yeah. Uh, we got an email, by the way, Will, from somebody that their email address was John Byrne <laughs> with some numbers at Gmail. And my initial first reaction was, did someone get John Byrne to email us? Then I started reading it. I was like, well, this is not John Byrne. But did someone pretend to be John Byrne to email us, which I almost liked just as much? Uh, but it's not. It's just somebody with a John Byrne email address. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, this guy who's not John Byrne says, this is the first time I'm writing to the two of you. I first picked up the podcast after you guys had Scott Ackerman on to talk about Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man number six. Mm-hmm. He's a huge fan of Stanley Chamberlain. I assume that's one of your characters, Will. It's a comedy bang bang episode, yeah. Um, I just wanted to reach out and see if either of you have read any of Matt Fraction's comics at Marvel. Uh, I recently started reading his run of Daredevil. He's talking about Chip Zdarsky here. He sent me a follow-up because he was confused. Uh, Chip Zdarsky did Daredevil, and Matt Fraction and Chip Zdarsky both did Sex Criminals. <laughs> so okay, the yeah. Confusion makes some sense, uh, but he's really enjoying Chip Zdarsky's Daredevil. Uh, Wilson Fisk is a mayor. Daredevil is a sharpshooter. It's great, and I'm only a few issues in. Is basically what he's saying. Uh, Chip Zdarsky's Daredevil run is very fun. 
Um, Fraction's run of Hawkeye with David Aha. Now he's correct. That is Matt Fraction. Has remained a favorite of mine from the last decade of comics. Have you guys read Matt Fraction's Hawkeye? Did you read that ever, Will? I think you did. I did. I read a. I read a lot of Matt Fraction's Hawkeye and the both you, you the. Might, you might have read it all then. It's not yeah, that long. Um, I read a lot of it, both the Kate Bishop stories and the, um, gosh, what's Hawkeye? Clint. Um, yeah. Barker's wait. Barker. Barton. Barton. Barton sorry. Um, yeah. I, I. Yeah. Hawkeye. Pizza dog. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Um, it's, it's great. It's uh, incredibly it's, fun. Like, and the art is very Mazzuchelli-ish, which David Aha drew a lot. Like in that Mazzuchelli style. I don't know if that's like on purpose, but it reminded clearly me of Mazzuchelli. Clearly, he's inspired by Mazzuchelli. There's no way around that. And um, I, I ate that up. I, that was like candy for me. Yeah, it was great. Uh, and then the follow-up series by Kelly Thompson that follows Kate Bishop, I think, is just as good in a very different way. Um, our friend. Uh, um, uh, uh, Alex Fernie, I think, is a huge fan of that. Or maybe yeah, I Berg. Think, I think ah. you and Fernie were the ones who got me to read yeah, it. And now there's going to be a Hawkeye series on Disney Plus, which I think is inspired by the Matt Fraction era, yes, right? It's very much inspired. I don't think it's following the story. It's hard to say but directly, it, but it's clearly inspired. The, the, the same the way like trappings. Dark Knight Returns inspired Tim Burton's yeah. Batman movie. Like it's not an adaptation, but like a lot of that vibe is in the. Yeah, there's only a vibe, and I'm sure they've borrowed from the trailer. It was like they borrowed moments from that series. Uh, it'll be curious to see it. It'll be great. But yeah, that's our answer to not John Byrne. What do we got? How are we doing on time, Will? I have no idea. Great. Here is oh, uh, I I read that the, this is from Julio Casada, who has emailed us before. I started reading that one more day Spider-Man story since I heard it might be one of the stories that they're basing uh, No Way Home, the new Spider-Man movie, on. I suppose Kevin has read this, but has Will. Will, you've not read One More Day, right? I don't think so. I find the premise really interesting and wonder how much that would play in No No Way Home. So real quick, No Way Home uh, or uh, One More Day is the story of when they kind of erased Spider-Man's marriage. Aunt May gets shot and is either dying or dead. And Spider-Man makes a deal with the devil to trade his marriage to save Aunt May's life. So he makes a deal with Mephisto. It, it separates him and Mary Jane. They're no longer married. They never were. Uh, but Aunt May is alive. And it's really what the story is. There's a story called One Moment in Time that sort of explains what happens is Mephisto changes one moment from the past where Spider-Man casts a spell so that nobody knows who he is. And that has a chain reaction of not... Uh, he and Mary Jane are no longer married and Aunt May doesn't get shot and all these other things happen. It's sort of, uh, and, oh, yeah, and that looks like that looks like it's in the trailer to uh, no way home. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't think there's a Mephisto deal in this movie. I'd be shocked if they had a Mephisto deal in the new Spider-Man movie. Uh, he's not married in the movie. So there's no marriage to a race. Uh, people hate this story. <laughs> uh, this one, mo one more day, one moment in time story. People hate it with a passion. They hate the fact that this marriage was undone. Uh, I don't care. Yeah, it's a bad story. Like you read it, it's like eh, this is sort of a. It, it's a story that has a purpose to undo something. Yeah, and it's but, not the, the purpose is not to tell a good story. It's like how can we do this with the least amount of, so that when it's over, we don't need to talk about it. Is what it yeah. feels like, and it serves that purpose. And then he's not married, and I'm happy with him not married. I don't care. I think he's probably better not married, uh, though. I think he can work married. I think he works better not married. But it's like the story is bad. People hate it because they think it ruined Spider-Man. Where I'm just sort of like, ah, eh, Spider-Man runs 60 years. There's lots of bad stories. 
and I'm uh, and I don't think about it much. We should do an uh, episode just of your hottest takes. Uh, oh, my hottest take is Spider-Man should not be in the Marvel Universe. <laughs> so. Yeah, stuff like that. You know, Doom should be a protagonist. Spidey should be not, you know, you know, things yeah. like that. Like, um, even if they're not hottest, just your most passionate takes, even if they're you, even if they're quite, you know, conventional, I guess. Uh, let's use this as a jumping off point. Have you seen the No Way Home trailer, the new one? I have, yes. So I'm going to say this right now. If people don't want, if people don't watch trailers, let's this will be our last email today. If uh, if you so haven't watched the trailer, trailer warning, yeah, because I want to talk about what I think the movie is about from that. There's been trailer. a lot of discussion of this uh, on TikTok. There's a lot of trying to guess what the movie is about. There's a couple of things in this trailer I really really enjoyed, um, and I want to talk about them. But if you don't want to watch the trailer and know what I think is going on in this movie, which could be wrong, I would just turn off now and uh, don't come back. Till next week, you know. <laughs> okay, uh, right? Yeah, sure. Great. So uh, clearly, there's a spell that's being cast in this movie where Doctor Strange is making Spider-Man's identity secret again because it got outed at the end of the last Spider-Man movie, mm-hmm. and that spell goes wrong, and somehow that brings all the villains from the other Spider-Man movies and a lot of people assume the other Spider-Man into the MCU. Okay, we've definitely seen Doctor Octopus show up and Green Goblin. Okay. And Sandman and Electro. Right. They're all in the trailer. And Michael yeah. Keaton has said he has filmed some Vulture stuff, so it's very clear he's also going to be in it. Okay. So all those people are in it. And in this trailer, and people think that it, it's it's a pretty much, it's a known thing that at least Tobey Maguire, probably Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield are all in this movie together. At least for a scene, like maybe they all show up at the end for like a scene together. Okay, we got it. This is like a five doctors situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's. I mean, it's into the Spider Verse. Never seen it. Never seen. We talked about this movie on this podcast. Never heard of it. All right, interesting. Uh, but what I love about this, so it's fan service, right? It's it's like, oh, wouldn't it be cool to see all these characters together? People will dig that, and that's the selling point for this movie. It'll be fun to see Alfred Molina's. Doc Ock versus Tom Holland, Spider-Man. And you know what? They're right. Alfred Molina's Doc Ock is really fun. It looks cool. And my two takeaways from the trailer is it looks like Doc Ock, when he realizes he's fighting a different Spider-Man, sort of becomes a good guy. It looks like he's working with this Spider-Man. Hmm. And I hope that's true because Alfred Molina's character is so fun. It'll be nice to see him as more than just sort of a maniacal villain. Right. Uh, and two, there's a moment in the trailer where Dr. Strange is like, oh, all these guys, when they go back, will die. Like huh. Doc Ock dies. We pulled him from a universe where he's fated to die. And, and we've pulled the Green Goblin from a universe where he's fated to die. So they're going to die when we send them back. And Tom Holland, in the trailer, at least, the way it's cut, makes it seem like I can't let that happen. Mm, which and I love. I love the idea of Spider-Man being like, I can't send these people to die. I don't care if they're super villains. Yeah. If I I'm not gonna be the one to send them to die. I you love it. you love Spidey's relentless goodness. I like it's especially in a, 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 I mean, there's a lot of death in the MCU. Iron Man has killed people, and Thor, and Captain America, have uh, killed people probably. Like the, it's there's uh, the realism brings with it. Well, this is war. Let's murder these monsters. Yes. Um, but there's something fun about characters who just like no, my whole thing is not killing people. Like Spider Man. His uncle died. He doesn't want anyone else to die. Not if he can help it. Right. He's got to try to save lives. And I like it when Batman is also that way. Like my parents were murdered in front of me. I don't want people to be murdered. 
Yeah. Uh, and so I love when those characters uh, uh, have that code, even if that code is hard. Uh, it, it always brings me back to the Man of Steel, uh, uh, Zack Snyder film, where Superman kills Zod in that movie. And Zack Snyder was like, oh, yeah, I put Superman in a position where he had to do it so we could see what that story is. Yeah. And my, my answer is, is like, oh, but Superman doesn't get in that position. He he wouldn't ever accept he was in that position. Spider-Man yeah. would not accept he was in that position. Yeah, that's their uh, whole deal. And Batman would not accept he was in that position. They might fail and someone might die in front of them. Right. But not because they would never kill somebody and they would try their damnedest to save that person. Might lock him in a phantom zone for a couple centuries. Sure, sure maybe. Uh, you know, Batman might break every bone in their body. <laughs> uh, so I, anyway, I, I love the idea of like, if this movie is about, or even if there's a arc, a, 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 a act where Spider-Man going, ah, I kind of try to save Dr. Octopus now. I think that's really cool. And I'm very excited to see that play. That gives it like, and now it's gone from fan service to like fan service with a fun story that I'm excited to see. Uh, though it could be like one moment in the movie and not really what the movie's about. What are your thoughts? I also want Spider-Man to be out of the MCU. <laughs> and I also want him to be out of the Spider-Man CU. I just want, I want simpler stories. Yeah. <laughs> I just want less moving parts. I, I want an economical good guy, bad guy with a, some psychological underpinnings story. Mm-hmm. And when it just comes to being like, remember this, I, I'm just kind of bummed. But oh, people I- are excited about it. So I, I'm glad for that. You know, and like, I'm grateful to live in a world where there's so many Spider-Man movies. I think that's kind of fun. But a lot of people thought this was going to happen with a second Spider-Man movie, like they were going to be, because there was talk of Mysterio being from another dimension. Yeah, uh, he's lies in that movie and says he's from another dimension. And right. when I heard that, I was like, I don't want to see that. I don't. I don't. I don't. Uh, in that, I kind of knew it. I was like, I think Mysterio is lying. I think that is a illusion. Yeah, uh, and I was right. Pat myself on the back. Nice. Uh, I didn't want to see it. So, like even when I heard that this movie was called. Uh, or when I heard that this movie was going to deal with the multiverse, I was like, eh, I don't need that. I don't want that. I prefer my Spider-Man without all those parts. But then I see the trailer and I see Doc Ock again. I'm like, it's the only way we get more Alfred Molina Doc Ock, really. Yeah. Because like that 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 movie series is done. That character is dead. <laughs> yeah. Like you killed the character and ended that series. You can't have that character actor play that character again. So getting to see it again is very, very fun. It's weird being old enough that things that other people are attached to from when they are children is something I experienced in my early thirties. Like, yeah, uh, it's just, I have a different, i.e. non emotional attachment to some of these things. Yeah. But I also think Doc Ox, uh, Alfred Molina's Doc Ock was at the time. It was terrific. Pre, pre- MCU, great. one of the very best superhero villains ever put on film. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Him, Magneto, Lex Luthor. Right. I guess. I, I guess I'd react differently if it was like, oh, it's Matthew Broderick from War Games, <laughs> and Kelly Leak from the Bad News Bears have shown up. You know, things mm-hmm. that I loved as a kid is what I'm thinking of. Your League of Extraordinary Gentlemen would be a weird movie. <laughs> Uh, yeah, uh, I'm, ex- I'm definitely going to see it. I'm excited for it. Um, I'm on a spider slack, uh, uh, Spider-Man slack that's hosted by the guys from amazing spider talk. Brag. And, uh, uh, there's a lot of people on there. It's free ch- ch- slack open to everybody. Right. Um, and a lot of the talk there, uh, almost everybody there, I would say agrees that like, ah, eh, we don't care about this multiverse aspect of it. 
Like everybody is on that page. And I think about half of us are like, that movie looks fun. (laughs) (laughs) Like none of us would have signed off on this being the direction. I think Spider-Man wins, but if it's going in this direction, looks like they did a good job. (laughs) We're all excited to see it. I mean, the the movies have been really good. I'm, I'm excited to see it. Even the animated Spider-Verse movie, it's like uh, Spider. the Spider-Verse is such a, once you open that, how do you tell stories of Miles Morales alone? Like, yeah. How do you do a Miles Morales sequel in this animated universe where he doesn't have Spider-Gwen there or something? Yeah, or Jake Johnson and all that. Like, it'll feel like not a sequel to those movies without the Spider-Verse. So it's like, ah, have you per- ruined Miles Morales from being a solo character? But also that movie is great. It's one of the, it's a fantastic movie, which so, I've never heard of. It, it's such a, it's such a tough, it's a tough uh, uh, thing. Uh, anyway, uh, Julio, I didn't answer your question so much uh, other than say, but I talked around it, I guess. Um, he asked if we definitely want Toby and Andrew in the movie as well. I think they are in the movie. I don't I, care I'm, if they're I'm in the movie. I'm up for it as cameos. I don't need them to be a big part. Yeah, we, already saw, we already saw a multiverse Spider-Man movie. Yeah, I don't care if they're in the movie. I think they are. And I think it'll be fun. I, if they're a huge part of it, it, it'll probably feel like it should be Tom Holland's movie. Yeah. Uh, it's his Spider-Man movie. I'm also excited to see uh, the Vulture again. Michael Keaton was great as the Vulture. Hope he immediately puts Peter Parker in a car and they redo that scene. Um, and uh, uh, d- did you notice that Electro has this uh, Ditko-like mask for a moment? Oh, yeah. In the trailer? Oh, you know it, baby. I mean, that's great. Even if it's just like a visual nod for me and you and Ditko yeah. fans. I was like, oh, looks cool. Uh, Jimmy Fox's character was so bad in The Amazing Spider-Man 2. Yeah. That his character has to be better in this version. Right. Well, the first time we saw Deadpool was in a Wolverine movie, and that Deadpool was really dumb. And then Deadpool yeah. ended up being a really fun character later, so it's totally possible. Yeah, I forgot you're a big Deadpool guy. Number, he's number one for me. All right. Um, that's it, Well. That's it, everybody. So we'll see you next episode. Email us at screwitcomics at gmail. Check our Twitter. No, I mean, actually, check our Instagram. That's more important. Screwitcomics on Instagram. And then, hey, we got a Twitter, too. Screwitcomics. Maybe mm-hmm. someday we'll have a Slack. All right? We don't need these spider talk guys dominating the spider Slack universe. We're not uh, send us an email. Tell us some things you're thinking of. If you've never written us an email, send us, drop us a line. And thank you so much for listening. Yeah, and if you've emailed us before, we're tired of hearing from you. Is what we'll <laughs> it's not, not true. And you can also email us. We love, um, love all email. We think we have another interview next week. We have we maybe think, one more. We think we got one more, and then, then that'll this be it. Mu- this season might already be done. We might we not might, This it. might be hit, but we think we got one more. All right. All right. See you later. Bye, everyone. Bye. Screw it. Screw it. Just about comics. This is Patrick. And this is Mark, co-host of Nintendo Cartridge Society. Every Tuesday and Thursday, we're your home for all things Nintendo. On Tuesday, we're talking about the latest Nintendo news. And on Thursday, we're doing deep dives into specific corners of the Nintendo universe. Ranking the Koopa Kids. Determining who the best Smash Fighter is. That's Nintendo Cartridge Society on Campfire Media or wherever you get your podcasts. Campfire.